Welcome back to the Jake Well Podcast. This week on the School of Unlearning, we're looking at the book of Psalms and how to read it through the lens of Jesus. Let's get going. Good morning, Paul. Shua. Hey, are we, are, we are back together I know. again. I know. It's about time. I think the public demands it. It's been like, what, three weeks? Yes. Since you and I have done one of these together? Yes. I, I wonderfully had a wonderful time with uh, Jesse last week, and then you were with David Mortimer yes. before that. Yes. That was a fun conversation. That was an awesome conversation. I remember I was listening to it in my car, and I just thought, what a great conversation. And just, I love David. He just, he's such an interesting guy. So if you <laughs> haven't listened to that one, guys, go back and listen to that. He's, he's not what you think David Mortimer is. You know, he's, hmm. you know, former hippie, worked <laughs> in homeless shelter, part of a commune, seminary professor, pastor, Right. Grant writing, just a very deep well and one of the most sincere people I've ever met. Yeah. I mean, just deep convictions, deep belief, and just beautiful soul. Anyway, go listen to that. He's a really cool guy. One of our awesome, awesome overseers. So, yeah. Yeah. And we've been in a Christmas series. We have. Which has been really cool to see. It has. It has. It's been fun having Jenna and Sean as part of our teaching team and get some different voices. It's And that's one of the things we love to do with our teaching team is get some fresh voices, get some people who are going to look at things from different angles, different perspectives, and um, it's been fun working with them. I just met with them last week, where they're going to be doing some teaching for us next week, next year, actually, and went over some of that. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, some really cool stuff. We're going to be actually doing something uh, we're going to call Renewal, mm-hmm. and it's going to be a series, but it's going to be so much more than a series. It's going to be just what we're, it's described as a, a season of renewal, for so many things, and it really, I believe, is going to set the direction for the church for the next several years. And I think um, it's going to um, be a great kind of milestone because we're going to be celebrating our 20th anniversary. Mm-hmm. It's going to lead us into Easter, which is, uh, I think, going to be an, uh, a very important Easter this year, just um, just with everything going on. I think the cross and the resurrection are more important than ever, and that's really been our theme this year going all the way back to Luke last year and Galatians. And so, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. How, how are you doing? Doing good. It is. Um, so if you're listening to this in the future, it is yes. Christmas Eve, Eve. Yes. It's the 23rd, which means anybody who works at church is exhausted We're right now. Trying not to hyperventilate. <laughs> so, so in all honesty, I'm, I'm great. I'm just super tired. Yes. And I'm sure you are too. Yes. And so, I mean that, so we're looking at five service times and I think it's like 13 different services with all the venues. Oh that, yeah. That's not something like that. Yeah, and, and so tomorrow that's, that's is a 15 teams. hour day yes, for me. It's crazy. And <laughs> yes, we are. And that actually is one of the reasons if you're wondering why we're not doing in-person services the following weekend, um, and the weekend after that is is that it's just going to take all of our staff and actually all of our volunteers everything they have to do uh, Christmas. We're short staffed right now. We're short volunteered, and uh, if we were going to have to, you know, do Christmas and then turn around, come right back and get ready for the next two weeks, then it would just be no family time, and it's just a formula for burning people out and abusing people. And so we said, you know what, we do online church so well. We're going to do that for a couple of weeks as a community, and then we're going to come back. We're going to hit Acts again with a series called Ends of the Earth, and then we're going to do Renewal. And yeah, so yeah, it's a good season coming up. Yeah. And I think it's kind of interesting too. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people have kind of felt this way. 2020 made Christmas a little different. Yes. You know, the way it's felt, the, the anticipation of it. Um, 
and I've kind of had a, a bit of a slow start to yes. like getting excited or, or even feeling the nostalgia. And I'm sure some of it's like, you know, no snow. No snow. And it's been, a, it's been weird. Yes. Um, but yeah, right about now I, I can see Christmas day coming and starting to like get that excitement to just, just be at home, yes. you know, with my family and, and celebrating and remembering what this is all about. It's yep. not about all the busyness and all the push, but it's, nope. there's something greater. And I think that's why I've appreciated the focus of arrival yep. and the reminder every year. Um, it's always interesting too. like, um, everyone knows this, but every December we preach <laughs> kind of the same message. Pretty much. Right. It's baby Jesus, you know, <laughs> just kind of what we got. So, so trying to see like, how do we do this in a way that feels different? Right. feels a little bit fresh every year. There's a bit of a different spin. And I just, this one has felt really, really good. And I, I was just telling you before we started recording the last two sermons have felt really I've really appreciated them because they, uh, as much as they do speak to the arrival and the Christmas story, right. they're, they're this larger picture that points to the gospel. It points to, to redemption. It points to so many things that are, are crucial to our faith. Well, one of the things just kind of get inside picture of how the sausage is made of sermons. If I can use that horrible metaphor, <laughs> um, is one of the things that we struggle to do a lot with is to knock people off their familiarity. Oh, my phone's ringing, so... Hey, that's good. You can hold it close to the... Hopefully you guys heard that. It was you a could. nice ringtone. It was, it, I, and I choose that because it doesn't stress me out. There are some stre- oh. I, there are some some ringtones that I use during particularly stressful times that when I hear them on other people's phones, they trigger me. It's like, yeah. <gasps> and so not, not seriously, but seriously. Anyway, the point <laughs> is, is one of the things we try to do in our teaching is we, we're trying to knock people off their familiarity. Hmm. You know, because familiarity breeds contempt. We we tend to be familiar, so we think we know, but we only know at a very uh, superficial level. And to take it to a deeper level, or a fresh take, or to for it to that truth to touch a different part of our life, and so we try to come at things from different angles. We try to say the same old truths in a different way from a different angle, and um, that's a challenge at Christmas because you know you got shepherds, you got angels, you got wise men, Mary Joseph. Okay, all right, this is this is the stuff that everybody knows, but to come. And so even the text we chose, we chose very different texts that um, are very much about the coming of Christ, but just different perspectives. And we leaned heavily into Old Testament texts fulfilled in Christ. Mm-hmm. And then, um, of course, uh, David started with that wonderful message on, on genealogy, which was, I've had so many people say to me, Wow, that one really hit home for me. I just never realized why that was there and why it was so significant and how messed up those people were. And then Jenna came up with that wonderful message about, you know, the power of submission. We had Jenna had a great conversation. If you haven't heard that podcast about submission and and just how how Jesus set the bar for that. And then to come these last two weeks, particularly to look at Psalms and how those psalms were fulfilled in Christ and his arrival. And that's kind of what we kind of want to talk about a little bit today, is this whole thing of um, psalms, and specifically Jesus' relationship to the psalms. Now, this is a little nerdy, this is a little academic, but it is, and it's very subtle, it's a subtle point we're making. And I tried to make it in the message, and I'm not sure it struck home or not, but there's so much value, insight, power in the understanding of Jesus's relationship to the Psalms that, that have potential to open up the whole Bible, but particularly the book of Psalms to us in deep and profound ways. So, I mean, it it comes to this. So very often what you'll hear people say is, well, if you're going through a hard time, read the Psalms, or if you're, you know, um, struggling, read the Psalms. And there's a lot of truth to that. 
But there are actually a lot of the Psalms you read. I don't know about you, but I read them and I say, I just don't know what to do with that. Yeah. You know, I'm actually really in- interested because I heard what you said at the sermon and you and I have had some conversations about this, right. but I'm, uh, there are certainly, and I'm actually spending time in, in the Psalms right now. I'm in the, the hundreds now. And, right. Um, some of them, like the, <laughs> you know, you, you, you mentioned it, the, the vengeance ones and there's right. a lot Yeah. like, like, and, and a lot of times it's, it's David saying yep. my enemies are constantly against me. Yes. The threats against me are so intense. I can't remember if it was like one Oh five or something where the, the kind he starts sharing the kinds of things that people are saying about him right. behind his back. And it's like, that is wretched. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's kind of amazing that, that we often will say, yeah, go to Psalms to find peace and to find calm. And I'll read it and, and leave a little bit yeah. disturbed sometimes. You know, I, I had this insight about the Psalms and particularly some of those Psalms that are the venge Psalm, vengeful Psalms are what theologians call the imprecatory Psalms. The imprecatory Psalms are those Psalms, which the Psalmist actually says things, may you wipe them off the face of the earth, may yeah. you kill them all, may you dash their infant babies' heads against the rocks. That's actually in mm-hmm. the Psalms. And or all the curses they're saying about me, yes. will, you, will you now put all those curses, all upon curses on them? Heads. And you say, okay, well, how does that reconcile with Jesus and the New Testament? Yeah. I, this was the thought. I, you have to tell me, Shu, whether or not this, uh, I should never say this again, or this is, wow, you're too old to be saying things like I'm this. I'm glad we're recording. <laughs> yes, me too. And, and it's, it seems to me that it's very similar to um, some reading I was recently doing about rap music. Hmm. So like older white guy, I hear rap music and I hear some of the things said and my, my thought is, man, that's, that's vile, that's immoral, that's harsh, that's violent. Why would anyone say that? A lot of uh, profane language in it. But um, it, like if you listen to like Lecrae talk about rap music, he says that's, that's one, it's the language of the street. It's descriptive of an experience. It is visceral. It is emotional. It's not necessarily meant certainly as something that's prescriptive. It's something that's descriptive of an experience and it's emotion being expressed and it's poetry. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, cause you know, like I say, old guys like me and I probably have said something like this is that's not good. That's not music. That's not art. That's not whatever. But, but if you look at the Psalms, there are Psalms that say things that are shocking. Mm-hmm. There are Psalms that say things that are, visceral that are meant to to um, create an emotional connection uh, you also have to recognize that this is late bronze early iron iron age period this was mm-hmm. a very violent time it was a time of of genocide it was a time of I mean there's no Geneva convention I mean it's you go in the village you kill everyone you enslave everyone you you wipe everything out kind of yeah. mentality so that's that was their experience. So what are we supposed to do with a psalm like that? We're supposed to relate with it. I mean, haven't you wanted to just, uh, this is particularly true when someone hurts someone I love, you wanted to hurt them. You wanted to do something terrible to them. And even the thoughts that come in your mind, your heart. And so again, I don't think those psalms are prescriptive of what we should do. I know they're not. Because it's completely inconsistent with like, oh, I don't know the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're meant to say, whew, I have felt that too. Yeah. That is real. That is raw. That is I like powerful. That. And, and and much as I think you've also said this at different times, other stories throughout the Old Testament yes. get outside of Psalms just because you see this character did this, Samson did this. That right. doesn't mean we're supposed to right. go murder all the right. right. It, it 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 shows us humanity yes. at its rawest and, and often it'll show us God's response yes. to 
that that deep place. Preston Sprinkle has a podcast called Theology in the Raw, and this week he is having a hour-long conversation with Michelle McKnight, who teaches at Trinity about the book of Judges. Mm-hmm. You want to just talk about a messed up book. Yeah. It's just a mess. I mean, you got uh, women pounding tent pegs through guys' skulls, pinning them to the ground. I mean, you got that bizarre story at the end about the Benjamites. I mean, it's just a, it was a crazy, crazy time. And um, that's just real. I mean, that was their experience. And how are we supposed to make sense of that in our modern times where we're so civilized, you know, supposedly, mm. and yet the things we do with our words and our actions and, and are just off the top. Anyway. Yeah. The, Sorry about the rabbit trail. No, man, this is awesome. <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of thing I wanted to touch on, but the question then comes back to me is, okay, when we come to these Psalms, like the imprecatory Psalms, we don't understand how to relate with them. Um, and then you have, you know, the Psalms that are really, really hard for me is, the calls for judgment and righteousness psalms. So I'm reading a psalm and saying, Oh Lord, I have been righteous all my days and I have done the right thing. Throw down the unrighteous and establish me. And I, I read that and I go, yeah, I, I, I am more likely to be the one thrown down mm-hmm. than the one. How, how can you pray that psalm? Or the psalm that I, I mentioned in the message a while back, but that, that psalm that says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And I want to ascend the hill of the Lord. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not speak any falsehood from his mouth. And I'm thinking to myself, cheapers, creepers, I can't ascend the hill of the Lord. I mean, how do you understand those? Well, one of the things that becomes incredibly powerful, incredibly helpful, and, and it has changed the way I look at every psalm, including the precatory psalms, the, the, the revenge psalms, is I start by imagining Jesus reading that psalm. So I, I literally have a picture of him. He's sitting like in a window in a in a adobe like and I just have this picture of him. I don't know how he'd get it, but he has like a Bible or like a scroll. Mm-hmm. And he's reading, he's meditating on these. And Jesus would have grown up in Torah school. So he would have he would have memorized the Psalms. He would have sung them all the time. He would have been intimately familiar with them. He would have been on a culture where people would have known the Psalms. Um, and for Jesus to be reading them and then through the process of his natural growing up, coming to understand that he is the Messiah, for him to understand that, okay, these Psalms actually are about me. These Psalms actually have a unique relationship to me. These Psalms actually not only become fulfilled in me, but then they become accessible to my people through me. So the righteousness, so Jesus can read the psalm, who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? He has clean hands, a pure heart, has never spoke falsehood from his. Jesus did that. So yeah, I can do that. And because of the cross, I can bring other people with me to ascend to the hill of the Lord. And oh, by the way, that hill of the Lord is Calvary. I mean, all these kinds of, of um, you know, connections that say, okay, this is what it meant for Jesus. Now this is what it means for me. And so now I can celebrate that I ascend the hill of the Lord because I'm walking with the one, you know, who's holding my hand up that, that mountain, um, you know, and there's so many Psalms like this. The one we looked at last week was Psalms two. And, and just, just to say this, because when you start actually studying it and realizing it, it actually is amazing. We know that these Psalms should be interpreted this way because the new Testament writers did. I mean, and, and not a few. So you have 
um, you have the book of Hebrews very clearly quoting uh, chapter 2. You have Peter in the book of Acts. You have Paul in the book of Acts. You have Jesus himself quoting the Psalms about himself. You have in the temptation account, you have the devil quoting a Psalm back to Jesus when he said, does it not, is it not written that it says the angels will not let your, your feet you know, be bruised? That's a Psalm. And so everybody seemed to understand in the New Testament that those Psalms were about Jesus. That's how they looked at them. That's how they interpreted them. They understood that these Psalms had a special relationship to Jesus because this is really getting in the weeds. Jesus is the fulfillment of, uh, of Israel. He is the he is Israel as it should have been, faithful and pure and right. And so all, even all those psalms about Israel and about Jacob and about all those things, he is the one who's going to, who struggled, which is what Jacob's name means, He's uh, which is what Israel name, Israel's name means. His name has changed Israel. He's just the fulfillment of everything. And when you take time to think about how is this psalm fulfilled in Jesus? How is this psalm um you know, relevant to his kingship, to his being a savior, to him being, it, it just makes the Psalms just burst open. And and it's important, you know, uh, for us theologically to think about this in terms of, okay, the Psalm had a then. So it had a historical content. It was written by someone and it had meaning in the then. And then it had the meaning in Christ, you know, and now it has meaning. And, and even the Psalms we looked at this last week, uh, Psalms 2, I mean, that is, that is, um, that is a then. I mean, that, that, that is a, 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 in the future, that is a, um, um, now, that is the not yet. Mm-hmm. So that you have the fulfillment coming. It just starts blowing your mind. The, the scriptures become incredibly interesting. They become incredibly relevant. They become incredibly just alive and, and mystery just woven in that. Again, Psalms 2, you know, where he talks about those Psalms you mentioned, my enemies are surrounding me. Well, I mean, all of that, you just think of Jesus. Jesus was constantly surrounded by them. He calls them the dogs of Bashan who who would nip at me and bite at me. And I have been righteous and they speak falsehood against me. How long? And then how long will they be allowed to do this? And then you get to some of those Psalms about judgment and you recognize, wow, there is a role for Jesus where he says, where it goes, grace, grace, mercy, open door, open door, open door. But eventually judgment comes. I mean, um, where those Psalms then be ful- are fulfilled in him as the judge. One, one of the Psalm places where people don't realize this is happening, but it may be the most profound example of this, Shua, is in Psalms 22. So we're all familiar with Psalms 20, 23, but mm-hmm. Psalms 22, um, if we can just look at it, um, this is how Psalms 22 begins. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so many people don't understand that when Jesus said that on the cross, he was not so much expressing a term of abandonment and despair, he, although he certainly probably felt that because there was a separation between him and his father there. But what he was doing was quoting a psalm. And by quoting that psalm, he affiliated himself with this psalm. And there, there, is a, there is a rabbinical technique, and Jesus does this several places in the gospel, where he will quote a psalm and everyone would know the rest of the psalm. And so all the other implications of that psalm would be then assumed in what he said. Mm -hmm. And so if you read the rest of Psalms 22, it's just this incredible prophetic um, psalm about, about 
you know, the, 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 the crucifixion. So my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out to you by day, but do not answer me by night and I find no rest. But then he goes on and says, you alone are the Holy One. You alone deserve the praise of Israel. He goes on and he says things uh, in this Psalms like, um, uh, verse 16, uh, he says, um, uh, let me go back to verse 14. He said, I am, again, imagine, again, Jesus quoting this on the cross. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried out like a pot shard. Uh, my tongue sticks to stick. Uh, my tongue sticks to my jaws. Um, you've laid the dust of death on me. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I mean, I mean, it's it's just stunning. I can count all my bones. Um, they stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. Um, for my clothing, they cast lots. And so you just see that this entire yeah. psalm is the fulfillment. The cool thing is, is that um, um, he ends with a promise of resurrection. This psalm ends with promise of resurrection. So um, uh, let me find it, verse 25. Um, um, oh, no, it's verse 25. I'm not finding it here, but at the end he talks about, I will be lifted up. I will be delivered. I will be exalted. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so, you know, him quoting my God, my God, why you're forsaken me is expression of the real experience of the crucifixion and then the promise of resurrection in that. So, I mean, that's just one example of all of a sudden the Psalms go, wow, mind is blown. Here's Jesus. And now, you know, because he is the fulfillment of that psalm, I am in Christ. I share that with him. It just totally changes the way you look at the psalms. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, and, and it make for me it makes the psalm so much more relevant because I think a lot of people will read a psalm like that and they'll read it and they'll read it like poetry and they will tap into the visceral emotional feel of it, which is good, but they won't connect it with the meaning behind it. That then make takes it to a level of wow. Um, deeply, deeply profound, you know. And that was, again, what was so cool about the psalm we looked at this last weekend, Psalms 2, right? You got, um, you know, that psalm that particularly is quoted in Hebrews. Let me look it up here. I'm just going to try to quote it, but I've got so many psalms in my head right now that I'm sure I would have misquoted it. Um, psalms 2, you know, where he is... Um, it's a king, king, uh, king, uh, uh, a kingly psalm. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the Lord's anointed one. And so that anointed one is identified in Hebrews and in the New Testament. In fact, this this is quoted extensively in the book of Hebrews. And, and, it, and it talks about people's desire to burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us. He who sits in the heaven laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. And I just loved that picture. And, and I probably have quoted Psalms 2 during this last election cycle hmm. over and over and over again to people that, you know, um, you know, whatever party affiliation you hold up to, there are probably some good things about that, probably some bad things about that, but... Those parts that say we don't need God, we're going to throw off the his bonds, we're going to throw off the fetters, God laughs at that. 
Mm-hmm. God scorns at that. And ultimately, our affiliation is with the kingdom of God. And then to go to that incredible passage, I, I feel like I've seen it for the first time in many ways this last election cycle, where Jesus has that conversation with Pilate, and he says, my kingdom's not of this world. Mm-hmm. He says, I've got a different kingship. And yeah, yeah, you should be nervous about it, because eventually it's going to knock your kingship right off the map. But it's going to do it in a way that you just can't imagine. And then to see King Jesus then return in Revelation, I mean, the fulfillment of this psalm just becomes, oh, man, that's my Jesus. That's that's whose side I am. And then this wonderful call at the end. And, of course, this is probably, it doesn't explicitly say, probably a psalm of David. So the Israelites would have read this as kind of a boastful psalm about David. But, But when you see King Jesus, man, Verse 10, now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. So take God very seriously. You know, he's not, you know, and then verse 12, kiss the king, kiss the son. It says, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in your way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Bless all who take refuge in him. And then you get the whole, you know, you know, dichotomy, the, the separation between the wide road, which leads to wrath and death, and then the narrow road, which leads to this incredible thing of being blessed. You know, um, again, this this is that prophetic psalm where he says, "Today, um, I've called you my son. I've, I've made you more than that." And that, of course, is what Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost. Mm-hmm. So, multiple New Testament writers take this psalm, and they they just they just look at everything through the lens of Jesus. And it totally transformed, you know, the way we do it, the way we look at it. That That's why I feel like we can do it in our current time because it was the example of the first followers of Christ, as well as, if I can just say it, the early church fathers who we as evangelicals don't read, which we should read because they're wonderful and they're spiritually beneficial. They're not scripture, but they're the, some of the early church fathers are people who hung around with the apostles. Mm-hmm. So we should read what they said you know, and the, they 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 looked at the scriptures the same way, uh, most of them, particularly the early ones, and they looked at the Psalms the same way. Um, they just saw all of it being fulfilled in Christ, and when and when we see that, it it changes our relationship to the Psalms, and man, it just yeah, so cool. I, I appreciate so much of this. I think I think there's a richness to this, and I, I can see it in in many ways. So I got a couple of questions. Sure. Um, uh, the first one is, so you, you'd mentioned that like Psalm two, the people of the day yep. might've read it and thought, okay, David's being boastful. So that like immediately connects my brain to the fact that prophecy in, in scripture is yep. kind of an interesting thing It is because there's often a immediate context, yes. right? A then, a then it has to do with what's going on in the world at that time. Yep. And then there's this now. Yeah. And then there's a not yet. Yeah, and 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 this is one of the things, uh, and this is a very subtle point. This is, you know, the biblical study of of text is called hermeneutics, and this is a subtle point of hermeneutics you get deeply, and when you get in in seminary and biblical schools and things like that. But but this idea that, particularly Old Testament text, you need to you need to give them the their interpretation of the then. They have an interpretation of then how people would have seen it, what the author would have meant, and then many of them have a now. You know, a, 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 this is what it meant for the fulfillment of Christ. And some of them actually have a not yet. So probably the best example of this, and this is actually one that has really done mental gymnastics in people, is the virgin birth. Mm-hmm. 
So if you actually go back and look at the prophecy about the verse, about the virgin birth, it's actually in Isaiah 7, I believe. Isaiah 7, I'm almost sure. And it actually is not a question about a, a passage about, it doesn't seem to be a passage about the Messiah at all. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the king. It's one of the kings. He has two enemy armies coming his way. And um, um, the prophet, I believe Elijah comes to him. I might be getting a lot of my details wrong here. Um, and basically says, trust God, don't, don't trust yourself. And he says, and this will be a sign to you. Before the virgin gives birth, um, these two smoldering stumps will be, hmm. you know, gone. And so basically it, it's, you know, within a nine-month period. Assyria yes, Babylon. Yes, I believe that's exactly right. Um, and and, and, and uh, um, anyway, the, the point is, is that it was meant to have a context. Well, Matthew then takes that out and says, actually, this is a reference to Messiah coming. And then he applies that verse to his account in Matthew. Matthew quotes a ton of Old Testament stuff because Matthew is probably writing for a Jewish audience. And so for him to quote Old Testament stuff gave his writing authority. That's why Luke doesn't do it as much because he probably has more of a Gentile audience. So quoting the Old Testament would have been it doesn't have any authority, so they didn't quote it. So, yeah. so, so that would be an example of the one that had a clear then application, and then a clear now in Christ application. So, so you have a lot of the now and the not yet, and there are there are all kinds of warnings about this too, because there have been some people who have gone to seed in this. I mean, there have been people who. Um, you particularly get it like when you you do a study of like the tabernacle or the Old Testament temple, they will take every little detail and they will make some kind of um, application. You know, well, the rope is this long and this long it meant this. And now mm-hmm. they'll just do a lot of mental gymnastics and then they'll arrive at conclusions that are far-fetched and a little crazy, particularly when we start making predictions about the return of Christ. Sure. There'll be people who will take obscure passages and they will twist it and they will turn it and so then you'll get this wild prediction and they'll say, well, it's from this, you know, part of the tabernacle was this. And now we see that over in Iraq yesterday, they signed this and that yeah, means right. this. And, and then um, people just love to do that, you know, um, and, and it's, it's not valuable. So again, we're, we're pretty deep in the weeds here. When you, when you do serious biblical study and you, know, you read a serious commentary, you will come to passages where people will say, okay, here's a passage, and there's no New Testament author who makes this a, a picture of Christ in the New Testament, mm-hmm. but it sure seems to be that. So like an example of that would be um, um, Abraham bringing Isaac up to the top of the mountain to sacrifice him. I mean, if anything looks like a type yeah, right. of the resurre- uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's that. But there's no New Testament writer who says, oh, by the way, when Abraham brought Isaac up, that was the father bringing the son, and, and he didn't have to sacrifice him because another sacrifice would be made. Even even the region where he brought him, many scholars believe that it, w- it may have been the very hill that ultimately would be Calvary. And you can make that argument Although, you know, the thing is, is a lot of these places it says, and they went to this place and this place in the Bible, we don't even know where those places were really because we don't have, a, you know, you can't buy a atlas, you know, right. 500 BC, 
you know. And how much would it change between Abraham's yes. day and Jesus's? Well, in yeah. layers of civilization in that yep. part of the world. People just don't realize because of the nature of that being a strip of land between deserts, one culture after another came and built and rebuilt and rebuilt and rebuilt. And so figuring out where Megiddo was or where Joppa was or exactly where Jericho was, a lot of debate about that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So That's good. So I guess my, my final question then is, is um, when you look at the book of Psalms, do you see every chapter as prophecy? No. Or are some of them more, more directly, um, as we had talked about earlier when we talked about these kind of revenge psalms, that it shows us the poetry, shows us the honesty of the, the human state at that point? I, I would say this about that. There are some that are more clearly and explicitly um, applicable to prophecy, to fulfillment. Um, I don't want to say everyone, you should, you know, so you don't want someone saying, okay, I'm going to go through chapter 15 and I'm like, okay, what is verse one prophecy? One verse two. It's yeah. not like that. Um, but I think woven within there are very clear prophecies that have a very strong, you know, again, the then, the now, and the not yet. So some of them are very clearly then. Okay, this was just their experience. This is what they're talking about, you know. Um, but then there are others that have a very, like Psalms 2 is very clearly a messianic psalm. Mm-hmm. Um, but but even, here's an example of, of how you can let one psalm be all of that. That's the beautiful thing. You don't have to choose. You don't have to put it in a category. It's Psalms 23, probably the best known psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I mean, what an incredible picture of, okay, the Lord is my shepherd. How did Jesus read that? And you wonder if some of Jesus is even teaching in John about being the good shepherd, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't refer back to that. Um, and there's there's so much of this. I mean, um, um, when Jesus talks about something, how his audience would have heard it. And yet at the same time, it has a now for us. Anybody going through a difficult time just, I mean, can find unbelievable comfort in that that beautiful psalm. And then, of course, being a psalm of David had a then application. So David was a shepherd. He knew what it was to take care of sheep. He knew what it was to move them from one safe field where there's plenty of grass, it's high and you can protect them, but then you lead them through a valley where there's predators and you have to keep track and you got to count the sheep and all that to another place, you know? So, I mean, that that's the beautiful thing about this is that once you start thinking like this, you can, you can bring the then, the now, and the not yet to all these different passages. You can look at it from different angles. Mm-hmm. It makes the scripture so much more interesting, you know? I will say this again, there is a danger of going to seed on this. There is a danger to just taking this to some kind of weird extreme where you're arriving at weird conclusions. So what we would, what we said in seminary is, you know, anything that's going to be a big life change, anything that's going to be a big point of application, anything that's going to be a major theological step, it should be firmly established in the Old Testament, New Testament, New Testament writers should have identified it. The church from the beginning all the way through history should have recognized this as cardinal teaching. You you shouldn't, you know, you always got to be worried about the dude who just picked up the Bible, you know, and he lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and he got a revelation from this one little verse that means this, wow, brand new thing that nobody else has ever seen. You know, the thing, a really wise uh, seminary uh, professor said, you know, people have been doing this Christianity thing and theology thing for a long time. He said, if you discover something new, something theologically that's not been said, there's two things about you. One, you're a genius. And two, you're a heretic. <laughs> because um, 
it's been said, it's been done, you know, and, and, um, we're not getting new stuff. And so, um, that, that's just a word of caution about, um, this kind of approach to interpretation and what's sometimes called typology and, and these kinds of things that can be taken way too far. Yeah. I like that. I think that the clarity there is helpful because I can see even for myself, you know, hearing, um, you know, read the, read the Psalms at the lens of Jesus. I could see myself coming at it from my lens. Oh, okay. So as I go through verse by verse, I better try to see Jesus in literally every line. Right. And I think, hearing that, that freedom of like, no, yes, all throughout this, you're going to see Jesus woven. And if you can see him exalted and lifted up, it's going to make this experience richer for you. But it also allows you to, to just read it in an, in kind of an, an an open way where when those moments come, they're so uplifting and they're so powerful. And there's other times you're like, okay, that probably really seems to speak to David right now. And that's okay. And not only does that seem to speak to the book of Psalms, but just scripture in general of, of, of looking for the moments that, wow, that really is speaking to, to God and to something higher. And sometimes, wow, that is so human. And I'm learning so much about this person. Well, and that's the way I feel today. Sometimes you just read, so that's exactly the way I feel today. I feel crushed. I feel abandoned. And all of that's legitimate. All of that's on the table. You know, the people who hate this conversation are the rule followers, are the folks that say, listen, just tell me the five rules for interpretation and how I can get the clear thing that it says to everybody in every age all the time. Mm-hmm. And and the, it, the Psalms just aren't like that. I mean, the scriptures aren't just like that. I mean, they're, they're, um, they're, they're meant to apply to, to people in different ages, different times. So, I mean, and, and God's not obligated to explain everything like that. But mm-hmm. like I say, the major cardinal issues, the major doctrines, those get established clearly in multiple texts in multiple ways where we, we just really understand them um, clearly. So, Awesome. awesome. That's a fun conversation. Yeah, a little, little, little geeky, but fun. Yeah, hopefully yeah. you guys were able to follow us. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> well, hey, thank you so much for listening with us. Um, hey, it is maybe 2021 by the time you're listening to this, or it is very, very close. Happy New Year. And there are some exciting things coming for our church in this new year. We've got um, looking further into the book of Acts, we started a new series of Ends of the Earth, and then we go into Renewal. 20th anniversary, a lot of great things to look forward to, a lot of hope on the horizon. Thank you so much for being with us this year of 2020 as we started a new journey with podcasts. It's been so fun to have you guys with us, sharing this podcast, commenting, letting us know what you think. We appreciate you guys, and we look forward to see what God is going to do next. We'll see you later.